morning, Calvary. If we've never met, my name's Thomas. I'm on staff at Calvary. We're going to start a new series in the book of Daniel today. For the next six weeks, kind of take us through April and May, and we're going to be looking at this story. And I just love the kids that are in the room with us today to watch baptisms. I love the ones down front who are sprayed with water. They're in the splash zone, you know. <laughs> and it makes me think of like the pool. When you go to the pool, you're going to get wet. And whether you go to the Erie Rec Center or you go to a large water park, there is one feature I'm looking for. And it's not the slides. It's not the hot tub. It's the lazy river. And I love me some Lazy River because you don't have to do anything. You just get yourself a tube, you plop yourself in it, and you just get carried along. And you get to see a bunch of people, and you just get to float in the Lazy River. And then there's a time when maybe you're with your friends and you want to, like, mess with them. Or maybe the Lazy River goes under a waterfall, and so you're going to, like, flip their tube, and so you hop out of your tube. And as soon as you hop out of your tube in the lazy river, you immediately notice how strong the current is. And even if you're trying to just get out of your tube and make the exit, you realize that you've been in a river that has a current to it. And it's really hard to even stand in the same spot as the river is flowing let alone try to make traction and move upstream, especially as all these other people are coming downstream. Like you're the only one standing in the lazy river and, and you're dodging people. And then there's like the law enforcement. They have a whistle in their mouth. And they're just blowing it at you like, hey, get in a tube. You can't be in the lazy river if you're not in a tube. Get in a tube or get out of the river. And the book of Daniel is like a lazy river. And you're wondering, what is the connection? It's this. I know, just track with me, track with me. Maybe I'm tired from Easter, I don't know, but no. This is it. Is following God has always been from a minority position in a dominant culture. And when you live in a society, a society has a worldview. It has a culture. It has a set of values in which I would call a current. And you see that the world is moving in a current that really opposes God. And if, if you're a Christian, you feel that current against your life in certain places. And it's really hard to be a Christian. It feels like you're the only one that this current is flowing against. You're the only one. As people are just floating in this current, you're the only one that people are blowing their whistle at saying, what are you doing? Get back in the tube and flow in the current. And some people in the room say, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't feel that current. And the reason you don't feel that current is because you're in it. You're in the lazy river. And it demands nothing of you. And you're just carried along wherever this worldview, values, and culture leads. And for Christians, for followers of God, we're not called to just abandon and leave and just go sit in the hot tub with the jacuzzi jets on and be like, I ah, forget it. I'm leaving the world behind. But we're called to be faithful in the midst of an opposing current that wants nothing to do with God. How do you do it 
That's the book of Daniel. And so the book of Daniel begins with this exile. The kingdom of Israel has been divided for some time now. There's been a northern kingdom, and they've, they've left in exile prior with the Assyrians coming in. Now the, there's the southern kingdom. This is called Judah, and the capital is Jerusalem. And, and now the Babylonians are going to come in, and, and they come in, and they destroy the city, and they start taking captive some of their youth, and the youth find themselves in another culture, another place of worldviews, of values that oppose God. And it's almost impossible to stand against it. But Daniel and his friends teach us a way of living. It's not prescriptive necessarily, like you do this and this is always the guaranteed outcome. But it is principles, or principles of living. And we've called this series Winsome Living. And some people are like, why would you use the word winsome? Winsome means attractive. Like if I look at the book of Daniel, it's not always attractive. Not everybody is excited for the way they're living. That's true. Not everybody is, but some are. And we think that there are principles in the book of Daniel that can teach us how we live in our current culture, worldview, set of values faithfully and do it in a winsome way. And do it in a way that not everybody will be attracted to the way we live, but some might. And so we say we want to live winsomely so that we might win some by our living. And so let's grab the book of Daniel and open up to chapter 1. If you, if you don't know where Daniel is, Daniel's, one of the pro, Daniel's in the prophets of the Old Testament. And so if you open to the middle and start turning to your right, you'll run into it. If you have no idea, in the beginning of your Bible, there is a, con a concordance. And you just go there, it'll show you what page Daniel is on in your Bible. Or if you're just going to do it on your electronic device, just click the book of Daniel, go to chapter 1. And we're going to read the first seven verses right off the bat. So this is the current that these youths are now brought into. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, that's Israel, it's the southern part of Israel, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans." The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief, priest, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So here's the situation. For some time, the corruption of Israel has had God send prophets to her to turn their hearts back towards God. 
Come and return back to me. They've, they've polluted justice. They've polluted a religious system. They've oppressed the widow, the orphan, the immigrant. And God has finally said, enough is enough. I'm going to have another kingdom come in and bring judgment on you. And you're going to be taken out of the land for a period of 70 years, he said to them. And in those 70 years, you'll live in exile as judgment, as a discipline on you for the way that you have lived, contrary to the way that I've called you to live. And in this time, you see that Babylon comes in and does exactly what God has promised. They come in and they sack Jerusalem, Judea, and they carry away youths. And these youths, we have have four highlighted here. There's more than just these four. Their, Their whole world is turned upside down. The first strategic move in a country to dominate another is to begin to isolate the youths. So so Babylon is expanding their empire. And so they can't just lay waste to everything that they want to take over. And so they're going to take over certain areas with new ideologies and new allegiances. And the way that a country does that historically is to re-educate its youth. If you want to change a culture, you change their youth. And so Babylon's no different. He gathers the brightest, the best looking, the most able. I wouldn't have made the cut. And he brings them to Babylon. And look what they do. They isolate them from their family. So don't listen to your parents anymore. They isolate them from their community. Don't listen to your community anymore. They put them in their public education system in which they will learn a new language and all of their ways. Now, in Babylon, they worship a God who, worships, who is worshipped by child sacrifice, by the killing of their offspring. And they're going to be educated in this. They're going to be educated in their magic and in their arts and in their astrology. Like, this isn't just like, oh, man, they're reading Harry Potter. Like, they're, they're reprogrammed in their educational system. And then they're renamed. They give them new names so that they would break away from their old identity and their old allegiances, and they'll embrace a new identity and a new allegiance. Then they're going to get new clothes, and they're going to try to change even their diet itself so they will look Babylonian. They're going to be given new jobs. They're going to work for the government. They're going to try to educate these young people so that they can actually lead Babylon to be more and more successful. And maybe they'll be going to send back to Israel so that they can become ambassadors of Babylon. And these youths, I think, are our examples of how one might live winsomely. It's amazing. They're trying to strip them of everything that they've known and replace it with new allegiances. And I think in the way that they live, there are principles how we might live today in our present currents. And so in verse 8, we experience their first objection. Verse 8. It's getting quiet in the room. Did it get quiet? (laughs) Verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. 
And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. So Daniel's asking a request, and who feels like they're threatened by it? Is his, his advisor, his, his authority, like, my head's on the chopping block too in this one. Let's continue to read. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over him, over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skills in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. We'll pause there. The first thing you have to notice in all of this is the divine actor behind the story. The first thing that's essential to know in order for us to be free to live this way, to have the confidence to live this way, is you have to know who's the divine actor behind the story that we're currently in, and that's God himself. Now, it might not be immediately evident to you when you read this that God is sovereign over all. And the first thing we need to recognize is when we live in whatever society that we're in, that God is sovereign over king, country, culture. And it's important to know that because we live under kings, in countries, part of cultures. And unless you know that the God you follow, the God you're trying to be faithful to, is over all of that, it feels like you're the only one trying to direct traffic. It's up to you. But it's so freeing to know that it's actually God who has placed them in this place in this place, and that God will use them in this place to bring about his good. And so what we look at very first is three parts in this story. We just read 17 verses, and God shows up three times as the one in control. Did you pay attention to that? Verse 2, even in the work in which Babylon comes in, it says, God gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. So who is really in charge, even in the exile, is God himself. You see, God himself is the one that told the kings this was going to happen unless their hearts returned to him. God has been patient for more than a century with his people. Is that long enough? How about 140 years with people trying to woo their hearts back to him with the prophets? Is that long enough before he brings in discipline? So over 100 years prior to this, God has sent a prophet by the name of Isaiah to the kingdom to say what's going to happen. This is Isaiah chapter 39. We'll start in verse 5. This is it's amazing. This is what God had said over a hundred years prior to this invasion. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word 
of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house, all the vessels, and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom whom you will father, shall be taken away. They shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought, There will be peace and security in my days. That's going to happen some other day, and his heart doesn't turn. So some other day this is going to happen. And Daniel is, the day it happened, according to God, who is sovereign over kings, countries, and cultures. You have to know that God is the one who is, who is sovereign, meaning that we are accountable to God. Everyone in a position of authority has that authority given to them from God. And how we exercise that authority will be an account to God. And how you choose to live and how I choose to live... We have to give an account to God. And so we see in verse 2, the Lord is the one who gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. It was God who's in control. Look at verse 9. Even in Daniel's request, and that they, he was given this request for 10 days to change his diet, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. So who's in the control of the heart of the authority over Daniel? God is. God's the divine actor in our lives. Look at verse 17. As a result, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So who brings a blessing to their obedience? God does. And so even just the very first pages of the book of Daniel, and we ask, how is it possible to stand against the current? You have to know who the sovereign God is. The divine actor who's still acting today. Who's in your life? Who sees your situation? Who knows whose authority you're under? Who hears your, who hears your prayers? Who will respond to your actions? It's God. God is not absent from this story, and he's not absent from yours. God is present everywhere. So what are some principles of, of winsome living that we could look at? Well, principle number one that I would just want you to point out, and I'm not going to list like principle one through 50 in the book of Daniel. So just like a first principle, and maybe you apply this to your life. The first principle is this, not every battle has to be fought. Okay, this is not a call to Christians to have a culture war. Not every battle has to be fought. I know a lot of Christians out there that are just fighting everything. And really, I just see it in their heart. They're just angry. Maybe this is you. And you have to know this. Not every battle has to be fought. You see, Daniel was, was brought to Babylon. He was given a new name, new clothing, a new education, a new job. And he doesn't see any of that as the, as the battle to fight which defiles him. Do you see that? So not every battle has to be fought. And some in this room need to know that. Principle number two. Some battles have to be fought. 
And Christians in this room have to know that. There's something, and some Christians, they just think, man, if there's a way that I can live perfectly in grace and truth, no one will be upset with me. That's a lie. Do you know how I know that's a lie? The life of Jesus. <laughs> okay, Jesus lived perfect in truth and grace. And he was crucified. Jesus says, they hated me. You follow me. They're going to hate you. And so you cannot live this life faithfully to Jesus and not have some current opposing you somewhere where you say, this is my conviction. This is the line. And unto death, I will not cross it. And so everyone in the room has to know these two first principles. Not every battle has to be fought and some have to be opposed. Let me ask you that. We're leaving today with, with questions to take back to your family, take back to your marriage, around your dinner table, in your community. Is are you fighting every battle? Which battles are worthy to fight? If you came in this morning saying, I, I don't even feel the current, is it because that you're in it? You got your tube. And it takes no effort from you. And you're just carried along. Where do you find yourself in this story so far? So not every battle has to be fought. Some battles are worth fighting. And the reason Daniel chooses this battle is because it says he doesn't want to defile himself. Do you see that in the text? There's something about this that he believes defiles him. That his name and his garb and this education doesn't, but this does. And it doesn't say why, because not all these foods, meats and wines, are unkosher. Now, there are, you have to understand that there's, there's a strict diet for Jews. But wine isn't really outside of that realm, and not all meats are outside of that realm. And it doesn't say why specifically, so we have to kind of imply some things. And perhaps it's this. This is, this is my best stab at why Daniel says it defiles him, is because it's from the king's table, which is probably food that has already been sacrificed to idols. And yes, he's been adorned with a new name and adorned with new clothing and adorned with education, but he will not ingest an allegiance to their king or God. And so he asks to be distinguished from people in his diet. He asked, would you, would you allow us to be distinguished from those other young men so that we can be tested? And you can see if an allegiance to God in our faithfulness or an allegiance to Babylon is more fruitful for the flourishment of humanity. And this is a wonderful thing, to allow God to display in your life the flourishment of his good. When we're choosing God's ways, it's not because it's, it's God's way. It's because God's way is the good way. And you might not be old enough to know that yet. I'm telling you, God's way is the good way. And when you choose God's way, it's for the flourishment of humanity, for marriages, families, and society. And so we choose God's way because it's the good way. And so he's, he's asking to be distinguished. And how does he ask? This is, this is winsome principle number three. Does he go on a food strike? Does he have a public protest in this moment? We're going to see some of his convictions are lived out privately, some publicly. How is this one lived out? It's really private, isn't it? He goes to the person who's in authority over him, 
and he presents a request, doesn't he? This is the winsome principle. Try to win favor with those who are in authority over you. He presents a request, and not only requests, this is, this is so good, this is so good, this will even help you with your, with your connect card that you write in some comments to me, which is actually a prayer card, but whatever. It's like, I'm just going to take that and fill it out like I do at Chili's. Service, no good. Um, no, so this will help you with the prayer card that you send to me. You present a request with a solution. You see that? This is the request that we ask that you would allow us to not eat from the king's table. And this is the solution. Would you allow us for 10 days and then to evaluate if the way we're living is for our flourishment? I love that. It's not like this protest of like, what you're doing is wrong and I refuse. It's to go to the person in authority and say, hey, this is my request. And I know your head's on the chopping block. Like we have shared goals here. We don't want to die. Um, so here's my request and here's a solution. And here's a solution so that you can know if the way that we're living faithfully to God is, is for our flourishment. Man, it's like, I should put my life on display and then you evaluate if the way I'm living is for flourishment or not. I love it. And then God, and then God who's the divine actor, steps in and he, has, he makes the, the, this overseer's heart compassionate towards Daniel. And then he blesses Daniel's decision, his friend's decision, so that they have this appearance in response to the God they follow. And the heart of his overseer is, is beginning to be won over. That's winsome living. Now remember I told you it's not prescriptive like, well, that, I did that and that didn't work out for me. No, this is, this is principles and principles are always wisdom. This is the wise way to live and see how it plays out. And so these are some of the principles that not every battle has to be fought. There are some battles that have to be fought. There are lines in the sand that will defile you in your faithfulness to God. And I know it's hard to follow Jesus. I have four young kids. I live in the same current that you're in. I get it. But more than any of that is the faithfulness to God, to know that God's the divine actor who has placed you in this community at this time, in these schools, in this neighborhood, for you to put your life in witness on display so that the world might see God. I see God in you. And that's the beauty of it all. Even in his discipline to Israel, he brings them into Babylon so that Babylon might come to know who he is. Think about that for a moment. That you have been placed where you live, where you work, where you play, so that those around you might see. Who is this God that you follow? Who is this God that you're faithful to? And I know it's a minority position, and that's okay. And this is how the New Testament plays out. Like Jesus does this. Jesus came into our world and lived this way so that we might see the goodness of God, that we might come to know who God is through his son, Jesus Christ. And Peter says this to us. Peter says, okay, listen, if you're going to live the Christian life, it's going to be hard. I get it. But God's way is the good way, and it's worth living. And Peter just simply says this. This is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. 
But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ. The Lord is holy, holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. May that be our guiding principle as we unpack the book of Daniel. How do you live faithfully in a current that opposes God? Let's pray. Lord, I love you. And I'm so thankful that you would give us your word and that you would let people go before us and model for us how we might live. And so, Lord, I just pray for my friends in the room that you would teach them and show them how to live out faithfulness in the real world that they're currently in. And I pray that you would use every woman in this room, every man in this room, young and old, to be light and salt so that the world would know you. And we surrender all of that to you. We surrender our weeks to you and the months ahead. Would you simply inform us with your wisdom of how we might live? In your name we pray. Amen.